Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So we've got lots of great interviews in the can up pushed out away when you take a look at our um, listing make sure you look at the inner the episodes that have an eye in them those are our great interview episodes so we had a great one with Patrick Ruffini last week uh, who's Kristen's business partner he has a great new podcast called floor fight about the I guess what looks likely or maybe now unlikely to be a contested convention. <laughs> um, and we have some great, inter- we have a great interview next week with Ed Goas and Celinda Lake uh, talking about their battleground poll. We have some great polls with um, and great interviews with Molly Murphy from Anzalone List and Natalie Jackson from Huffington Post. I'm going to be ambushing some folks next week like John Cohen from Survey Monkey, who we always Say we want to have on the show. We are now going to have him on the show. That is going to happen. Um, and Kristen, you had a fantastic interview that folks can watch with Richard Bramson. That must have been so incredible. It was something else. I had been prepared ahead of time that he is somebody who uh, is very energetic but has a uh, constantly changing focus. And so, uh, for instance, at one point in the interview, he decided to change shoes with the CEO of Under Armour. So uh, quite an adventurous day. Uh, you can check it out. Virgin Atlantic um, had had been doing the live stream and now has the video up on live. Uh, it was it was an adventure. You know, I've there have definitely been times where I've wanted to take my shoes off when I'm in the middle of a meeting or a panel <laughs> for sure. But I have never actually thought I would trade shoes with somebody else. On now, stage bear in mind that the CEO of Under Armour had very cool shoes because un- it, they were Under Armour, right. you know, sneakers that had some kind of like, like red plastic alien s- slinky type stuff that was like the heel of the shoe. I mean, they looked really cool. So I can see why if you're Richard Branson, you would just look over at your co-panelist's feet and be like, I think I'd like those shoes. I think I'm going to go take them off of that man's feet and put them onto my feet. So, Kristen, the next time we're on a panel together, can I just tell, ask you if you would trade shoes just with me? Grab my shoe. <laughs> just take them. I think somehow that would not go over as well. No, so, I'm very protective of my shoes. The, the Under Armour guy was very chill, but I, I'm I'm pretty. <laughs> well, I'm glad I now know that in advance. <laughs> so, what are what are the top lines this week? Uh, this week, the Northeast has spoken. The frontrunners continue to lead, um, and Trump has decided to call out Hillary Clinton for playing 
the woman card. We will look at how Trump is performing uh, on his quest to the Republican nomination and how he will handle uh, running the gauntlet that Hillary Clinton is likely to lay before him. Um, the selfie vote is back. Ask a millennial. The Harvard Institute of Politics did ask a millennial, about a thousand of them. Uh, we'll take a look at what the new Harvard IOP poll says about where young voters are at. If you're an independent voter in California, you might not actually be as independent as you think. We'll take a look at some data about what independent voters in California might really be registered as. And finally, with the passing of Prince and the release of Beyonce's groundbreaking album, Lemonade, we will look at what polling has to say about both of these artists. Great. So first, I should say I really hate the name, the Excella primary that people have been using. I just think it sounds so elite. It just has every, it just smells like everything that people hate about the, you know, political media um, and punditry. But, you know, I guess it's here to stay. I guess it's gone now. And, you know, the day has passed. And so that that's the name that everybody well, and used. Everybody was sharing around this clip of like newscasters mispronouncing the word Acela. Like it's like there's something wrong with these newscasters for not knowing that to me. I was like, guys, come on. Like, <laughs> it's the really expensive train that you can take between DC and and Boston. Like that wh- why are we like splicing together like oh these silly newscasters who can't pronounce Acela? Like no joke. Oh, no kidding. God, right. I think I just mispronounced Acela and I've taken it like a billion times. So anyway, I I just think it's uh, incredibly obnoxious, but probably the people who would be most annoyed by it did not hopefully did not even hear that that was what it was called. But it was the primary, as folks may know by now, in uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland. Um, And as I think the polls predicted, this is another time where pollsters can take a bow because I think everybody expected Trump and Clinton to do very well. And indeed, they did very well. Trump won all states. Uh, Clinton won four of the five states. She did not win Rhode Island. Rhode Island went to Sanders, um, came close in Connecticut, but that still went for Clinton. Um, So I think, you know, now the news on the Democratic side is, well, what's Sanders going to do next? Is he going to tone down the rhetoric that still is out there that as a meme? Does he stay in? Um, does he withdraw gracefully? Does he stay in and change his uh, um, his message or his point to really make sure that there's uh, dialogue around the issues that he and his supporters uh, prioritize? And it, I guess this other question that people are talking about, it, does him staying in hurt her? If he stays in and he continues to campaign, he continues to talk about various issues and, and continue to run the campaign he's been running, is that damaging to Clinton? And I just don't understand that argument, given that she is continuing to win quite decisively um, and beats the Republican candidates in general election horse races and, you know, leads Sanders. I'm just not sure where, you know, in the national primary ballot as well as in the various states where where they're competing. So I'm just not sure where this argument that somehow him staying in is hurting her when, in fact, she's been doing well. But, you know, maybe I'm missing something. Am I missing something when you look at it on the Republican side? I mean, I guess, you know, you still see the same results that we saw in, from New York. You saw the same results in Pennsylvania and in Maryland that had uh, larger exit polls where people felt energized by the primary. You don't see that on the Republican side. They uh, majorities say they're going to vote for Sanders if he's the nominee. They're going to vote for Clinton if she's the nominee. You don't see that for any of the non-Trump candidates on the Republican side in last night's exit polls. So I just 
just don't really get this argument that somehow she's being damaged. Well, the problem on the Democratic side for her has never been that Democratic voters don't like her. I mean, that's been the big contrast is that on the Democratic side, Democratic candidates or Democratic voters like both of their candidates and just are choosing between two options that they're basically, you know, that they like either one of them. And on the Republican side, you have Republican voters who look at their fields and are like, oh, God, (laughs) Um, which of these people do I dislike less? With the exception, I think, of Trump voters who in the exit poll said they were excited about about this election. They're excited to vote for Trump. Um, But yeah, the Democratic side and the Republican side is very different. And I think at this point, you know, the idea that Bernie Sanders continues to hang in there and continue to, you know, try to keep her on the ropes. I mean, it's so likely that she's going to be the nominee. And, you know, his role, I think, at this point is to advise on the platform. And he's certainly moved an economic agenda and moved, I think, the party in his direction as a result of his candidacy. But I don't see him as hurting Clinton yet. And she's clearly turned her attention to Donald Trump anyways. I mean, she's now sort of in the safe zone where she can begin focusing her effort past Bernie Sanders. And, you know, I think if if it was that he was occupying all of her attention and she couldn't shift her focus to Trump, maybe that's hurting her. But I don't think that's the case. I think she's think she's ready for ready for that pivot. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, that I would uh, that I would argue that Sanders has brought up some of the issues that, that and you could argue that Trump, I guess, has brought some of these issues up, too, that might not have come up otherwise. And that's uh, specifically on things like trade or the role of Wall Street exit polls now for both parties show that there's concern about the influence of Wall Street and the, and the and worries about trade, um, even in the Republican primary. I mean, of course, you see in the Democratic primary, but even in the Republican primary, uh, majorities, uh, a majority in Pennsylvania say trade hurts jobs. A majority uh, in Pennsylvania also uh, say that Wall Street is more likely to hurt than help, although at Maryland and Connecticut, you have a majority of Republicans saying that Wall Street helps, but just barely half. I mean, it's not overwhelming. I mean, there's still some division there, and that's in the Republican primary. And I don't think we'd be having these conversations if Sanders wasn't in. So I think it does show, and we'll talk about when we talk about the Harvard poll um, about capitalism and socialism and how those labels are fitting for folks. Um, I think that, you know, the Sanders campaign has really given some voice to some of these issues and concerns that maybe would not have made it if we were just, you know, just talking about the Acela primary with other Acela writers. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I feel like that's been a good a good outcome. Well, on the Republican side, you know, we talked about how pollsters can maybe give themselves a round of applause. The one thing that was the Republican side was a little surprising and not in that Trump won or won big, because, again, we knew just like last week on the show, I said, gosh, everybody needs to calm down. We knew Trump was going to win by a bajillion points in New York. It's not that big a deal. Um, We knew that Trump was going to win in these five states and we knew he was going to win by margins of 15 to 25 points. Um, but in some of these races, he won by a, a lot more than that. I think uh, Sahil Kapoor at um, at a uh, at a uh, I think Bloomberg. Talking Points memo. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Bloomberg. Sorry. Um, he uh, he figured out that it was uh, Trump overperformed by uh, an average of nine points in all of these states. That some of them got pretty close, but then in other states, Trump just did much better than expected. And I think the real the reason why last night changes things a little bit in a way that I didn't think the New York one did. Like I was so dismissive of this idea that, oh, New York changes everything. Like, no, it doesn't. Of course, Trump was going to win there. The fact that Trump won by the margins he did 
And the fact that Kasich was not able to pull off like anything. Right. This was Kasich's last stand. Yeah. His whole rationale for staying in, I kept saying, was, look, yeah, Kasich's doing bad in Wisconsin. Kasich's doing bad in here and there. But you're going to have all of those contests on April 26th, and that's Kasich turf. Right. Yeah, well, Kasich was a, a total dud. He got, like, nothing. So Kasich now, the, the news, one, is, like, Kasich has no point for staying in. Two, this whole Cruz kasich alliance is just a bunch of baloney nonsense. And, frankly, the it was based on the assumption that if you were a Cruz or a Kasich voter, you were also a never Trump voter. Right. And that's not the case as we've seen in polls. And then last but not least, and I think we talked about this with Patrick a little in his interview, you had something like Pennsylvania where sure, even if Trump won Pennsylvania, you still had all of these uncommitted delegates and maybe, you know, they would be Cruz supporters on the floor. But now an analysis of these folks suggests that Trump is winning the lion's share of these uncommitted delegates. And this is like the first time that he has picked up people in a fight with Cruz at the delegate level, at like the individual people's names on a ballot level. Um, So that for me is why last night's wins for Trump actually do change things a little bit. Now, there are folks that say, oh, well, he's done. Um, it's over. I mean, it's not over. He still has to do Indiana. He still has to do well in California. Mathematically, he can't hit that number until the last day of voting. Um, but he's going to do well in New Jersey. And so, like, the the options are running out for the hashtag never Trump folks. Um, but what about the Mary, Mary Pat Christie eye roll? <laughs> Is that going to hurt him in New Jersey? <laughs> I can see all the articles about that now. Uh, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, my gosh. Mary Pat. <laughs> no, I loved it. It made her a feminist icon for a brief moment. Um, you know, I mean, the other thing, I mean, the other thing, a point about Kasich um, is that when we did our Walmart mom focus groups last week in one of the groups was in Pittsburgh and people didn't know. I mean, these were Republican primary voters in Pittsburgh and they knew very little about Kasich. And I mean, it just, just seems like there's no real way forward for Kasich if he can't get on the radar of Republicans in Western Pennsylvania as the governor of Ohio. It just seemed like that, that, you know, and, and when I did that scenario for 538, where they wanted to come up with a variety of different scenarios, can Trump get to 1237 and the average and mine was right on that average uh, was yet not quite just, just shy of it. And to do that, to, to be held below 1237, even just shy of it, but just held below that number Kasich had to do a lot better. I mean, Trump would have had to lose some places and he hasn't lost anything. You know, he would have had to lose a little bit more in New York. He would have had to lose Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, that's just simply, you know, it's not happening. So I, I think he's clearly on pat, on track now. E- even even if the, we still don't know what's going to happen at the convention, there can still be a contested convention. There's all kinds of crazy things that can happen given how unpredictable Trump is. Um, but yeah, the numbers definitely, he's been doing way better, you're right, than, than I think people thought. I mean, we could get to a place where June 8th rolls around and Donald Trump goes like, all right, I just wanted to prove to you guys that I could win, but I don't really feel like being president. So I'm out. Like, I mean, there is a non-zero probability of that happening. So like this whole race is just bonkers crazy. And, uh, but what we do know at this point is that John Kasich has failed to do even the minimum of what he needed to do to remain 
even quasi viable. And I mean, at this point, I think he still has fewer delegates than Marco Rubio. Yes. I so if you're that. playing the whole game of like, uh, we get to a convention and there's a second ballot and the establishment throws Cruz over because they all hate him. And now all these delegates are free and they're all going to vote for some white knight candidate. Um, like, it's, it can't be Kasich. It can't be Kasich. It's more likely to be Rubio at this point than Kasich. And it's, it, this, is not, these are, this is not going to happen. Ugh. Yeah. Well, you know what? If it does happen, then please feel free to replay this clip. <laughs> and I won't care because I'll be like, sweet, we have somebody that can win a general election. Margie, <laughs> tell us why Donald Trump is probably not going to win a general election. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, so, first of all, if all that stuff happens, the last thing anybody's going to be have the time to do is go back through old episodes of our podcast to see where you gave right. a wrong prediction. No, you'd be surprised, man. There are some haters out there on Twitter. Because <laughs> there's going to be like, a, you know, 24 hours of insanity and like a, a zillion hours. <laughs> Hours of, of everyone's bad predictions <laughs> to go through, but feel free. Feel free. This is episode sixty-two. Go ahead, feel free. Um. So so Trump last night. So Trump's been. He tried out a new thing a week ago to be presidential. He tried it out for like a week or so. He, he doesn't like that outfit. He wants to go back to his previous outfit of you know, uh, crazy man on Twitter. And um, as part of that meant criticizing Clinton in a way that just seems insane. So he just, you know, he he said if Clinton wasn't a woman, she would be just getting 5% and she plays the woman card. And it's just the word card. If you see yourself saying the word card, you should just turn, you know, turn around and walk away. <laughs> like it just nails on a chalkboard for folks on the left because it's just a sign that, you know, it just sounds very tone deaf. You know, of course she's running as a woman. What else would she run as? She is a woman. I mean, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense is one of the points I made on NPR this morning. And the thing that is it particularly insane about it is how badly Trump does with women, which he most surely knows by now. I mean, he reads the polls and very closely. Are you kidding? He's going to be huge with women, Margie. <laughs> Didn't you hear? He says that women hate Hillary. Yeah, they hate him pretty much more clearly. Um, and I mean, there's nothing really else to say. I mean, he is so unpopular with women. He's unpopular with married women. He loses 12 points with married women. That was the Bloomberg Politics Purple Poll, a group that went for Romney by seven points. He loses by 12. That's a pretty big difference. Is 70% of women overall are unfavorable toward him. I think he's got 40% unfavorable. This was the last morning consult poll I saw. 40% unfavorable. Uh, among Republican women, I mean, his numbers among women are pretty terrible. And that while there are some women who are willing to say, well, you know, like we heard in the Walmart Moms focus group for, among Republican primary voting women, some of who were Trump voters and some of them were not, said, well, I've heard worse. I know he says sexist things. I've heard worse. They may come home in the general election, but still, he doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need... You know, he's going to need to do better than some of them, right? I mean, the fact that he does worse than the Republican brand, which is already behind on women with women, is just a sign of how terrible this is going to be. I mean, there was also a clip over the weekend where uh, Trump said, I don't know when he said this, but the clip came out over the weekend that uh, pushing a stroller and changing diapers makes you like the wife. That makes a man like the wife 
<coughs> which is, you know, uh, just another thing to uh, just upset all all married women who already don't like him. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's really incredible. I, I, I find it so egregious. I mean, f- you know, people were criticizing Sanders for saying, well, I don't think Clinton's qualified because of her viewpoints on the banks. You know, and people say that's outrageous. You know, and you have Trump saying these things that are just so preposterous and insane and horrific. I just don't even know what to make of it anymore. Well, get get excited because we are likely. So we're taping this episode at, <coughs> um, I believe, one o'clock in the afternoon on the twenty seventh, and so in a couple of hours, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Ted Cruz is going to have a big announcement. And the suspicion is that it will be the hashtag Hail Carly, <laughs> that it will be. Uh, <laughs> That's choosing, cute. Yeah, choosing uh, Carly Fiorina as a running mate. Um, so he may have yet more fire to turn on a Republican woman before going back to the break. Great. I mean, you know, the other thing, I just, I hope, I'm glad that, I mean, frankly, I'm glad that Trump's horrific views and words on women make women's issues front and center because it's just, you know, it's just another way that we kind of explore the boundaries without this like constant nitpicking of Clinton and nitpicking of everybody who has any thoughts about Clinton. And it's just, you know, I can, I find that sometimes a little frustrating. It's very clear that Trump has crossed a boundary um, that is just too far for, for most voters. Even if some voters say, well, you know, I wish he didn't do that or I don't like it, but I may vote for him because I'm, I'm a strong Republican. Still, in the aggregate, it's too far. Um, and the fact that uh, Fiorina is now a potential VP BP pick for Cruz, I think it's just going to continue, you know, just inflame Trump all the more. I mean, the other thing, too, is he had he continues to have this uh, gender gap in all the Republican primaries that you've seen in basically every primary. Um, and it's unprecedented. It's just not common for there to be such a large gender gap in uh, Republican primaries. And the reason is because, you know, he's terrible. He's terrible on women. Now, the one thing I suppose in his favor, which saddens me, is this new Gallup poll that shows that women are following 2016 less closely than men. Um, and that gap is actually widening. It's wider than it was earlier in the year. And it's not just a party thing. So as people have probably heard me say many times, I get annoyed when I look, when we see, uh, gender differences discussed in public polling and they don't, you know, break it out by party by gender because then you don't know if it's a party thing that's happening or if it's a gender thing since women are so disproportionately democratic. But in the they, they do this helpfully in the Gallup analysis. Um, there's a gender gap among Republicans. There's a gender gap in how much people are paying attention among independents, among Democrats. There's a gender gap among all kinds of other demographics too, which we'll all link to in our show notes, whether it's age or education, no matter how you slice it, women are paying less attention to 2016 than men. I don't know... If they're being turned off by Trump, I don't know. I don't know what, where this is coming from, but hopefully, I mean, I hope that that it doesn't uh, it doesn't continue because obviously, I think the stakes are pretty high. Well, as we sort of move out of our talking about the primary, sort of the last bit then is so what's coming up next? Well, the next big state coming up is Indiana, um, and one of the challenges is that I think in Indiana you're not allowed to do IVR polling. So there is a real, I mean, we've talked about the polling drought before. I'm looking right now at Real Clear Politics page. There are only three polls listed for the Indiana primary. 
Only three. And they all have Trump up by a little bit, between six and eight points. Um, but that's, I mean, so we are really flying blind into this next contest, which is going to be huge and decisive. So there's not a ton we will know going in. This may not be one where it's all about like, oh, did you underperform expectations or not? Because there won't really be a good way for us to set expectations moving into it. Right, right. Especially given how important Indiana is. That's definitely, you know, going to have a little bit fewer stuff, you know, less stuff Mm -hmm. for us to go on headed into it, which always makes everybody nervous (laughs) since everybody likes to have the answer before the test is passed out. Um, So meanwhile, uh, there's been a lot of other polling out in the last uh, couple weeks. There's been some new polling among millennials. And when we did our live show at Harvard Institute of Politics with John Delavolpe, he teased uh, out this a little bit and some of the results are in. And, you know, I look at these results and it, it tells me that Republicans need to be reading your book, Kristen. That was, that was that should have been the subhead of this report, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I read the Harvard Youth Poll and walked away from it like horribly depressed because I was like, oh, hey, look, all the stuff that I said was going to happen. Look, it's all happening and nobody cares. Um, my party is headed in the exact opposite direction. So my column today in the Washington Examiner is all about how badly Donald Trump does with younger voters in this poll. Um, just the gen- we, the generic ballot. Who would you rather see in the White House, Republicans or Democrats? Um, Republicans lose that pretty badly, uh, which we already sort of know is going to be the case. You know, we, we assume, okay, Democrats are going to get 61% of the youth vote. Republicans will trail, you know, they'll get the rest. The difference here is that then when you add in the names and you say, okay, instead of Republican versus Democrat, if it's Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, then who do you vote for? It gets even eight points worse for Trump. And he winds up losing the youth vote by, I believe, 36 points, which is worse then John McCain lost the youth vote to Barack Obama in that historic 2008 oh my election. God. This is like, it is bonkers. Now, again, we're far out from the election. Things can change. Donald Trump has shocked the world before. But, oh, man, reading through this, this the results of this poll, I was just like, it's like you had a nightmare and you wake up and you're like, whew, that was close. Oh, wait, no, it's reality. <laughs> yeah. I no, mean- I didn't actually wake up. This is real. This is this is reality. Um now there are other there are a, a few other interesting things in here. Um, you had another question which was about tr- trust in institutions, and as we've talked about on this show before, there is really significantly declining trust in institutions among um, younger voters. You had uh, the military is the only major institution that gets trusted to do the right thing all or most of the time by a majority of young voters, fifty one percent. Obama's numbers are up. Um, 40% of young voters trust the president to do the right thing most or all of the time. Supreme Court is only at 39%. It's down from last year. I think their numbers were a little higher last year. You know, you had the the decision about um, same-sex marriage and things. Um, federal government, only 23% trust to do the right thing. Congress, 18%. Wall 11%. And the media is worse than Wall Street at 9%. So huge, huge, huge lack of trust there. Um, and then when you take a look at certain terms, like, do you identify, do you identify as a patriot? Only 32% say that they identify as a patriot, but 57% say they support patriotism. 31% say they identify as a progressive, but 44% sub- support progressivism. Only 27% of respondents said they identified themselves as a feminist. 
but you had 49% who said they supported feminism. So you have this really interesting div- divide between do you support a particular movement and do you identify as a um, feminist? I know, activist, right? They're so socialist. In- they're so interesting, right? Like the yeah, identity. Like labels. I've, I have said this and these numbers really back that up. Um, but the two things that were the least supported, only 42% of young voters said they supported capitalism and only 33% of young voters said they supported socialism. So like, this has been one of those things that like has gotten a lot of play where everybody says it's like, oh my God, all these young voters love socialism. Well, of the, the six isms that were tested, Socialism got the worst score. You had 59% that said they don't support socialism. You had 79% who said they wouldn't identify as a socialist. Uh, So I don't think it's like the death knell for capitalism among millennials. But there were a lot of questions in the poll about things like the government's role in providing a basic income, providing health care, getting involved in the economy that did show a leftward lean, um, even compared to results from previous years. And so that's what I think Republicans need to be worried about, even more so than, you know, these horrible numbers for Donald Trump. I mean, those numbers are bad. But at the end of the election, there's a a fighting chance for Republicans to say, well, that whole Trump thing was kind of weird, and come back to younger voters and say, but no, really, join us. But if younger voters have rejected center-right policy ideas, and nobody has made those arguments to them, that is a much bigger long-term problem. So- Go take a look at the IOP poll results. There's a ton there. They always do great work. They've got data going back over many, many years. Fascinating stuff. Um, Thank you to the IOP for for this continued service um, and for always giving me fun stuff to dig into and talk about. Yeah, no, it's really great. And we'll link to it. I mean, what I think is interesting about the socialism and and capitalism, I mean, you know, I don't even know. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about socialism quite so much and so much polling if it wasn't i think for the sanders campaign kind of giving mm-hmm. rise to the to the label to the as, as a conversation point um as he has uh and the, the capitalist notion it's obviously scores better than socialism but not that much better and when you put that in the same context as wall street doing so badly being sort of the least trusted institution wall street not really coming out so well in the exit polls not just in the democratic primary but maybe even a little bit in the republican primary too um i, I think that's just an interesting backdrop for headed you know for the you know context of what's uh next for this election and i think these are issues that you know young people seem to be uh, a little bit more plugged into and thinking about than perhaps folks who are watching politics or the rest of us. Um, I also thought it was interesting that uh, a majority, a clear majority of these millennials said that they feel there is a glass ceiling, uh, a barrier to advancement in the in, uh, profession facing women. Uh, about 59%. And you see, of course, a gender gap, but even a majority of male millennials feel that there's a glass ceiling, which I thought was interesting. Again, if you see um, Trump as the nominee continue to kind of hammer away at gender in the strange way he's doing it, I mean, you may see younger men really being turned off as well, not just uh, not just women across the board. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. Uh, so n- the next story we want to talk about is about the rise of independence. So any study you do of millennials shows that millennials overwhelmingly love identifying as independents. They don't like identifying with either political party. But if you live in California, you might be surprised to discover that you are not actually 
an independent, that you are registered as a member of a party that calls itself the American Independence Party. Margie, tell us a little bit about the story. So I was listening. So this is actually, there's a lot of folks are looking back to thinking about George Wallace's candidacy and what can we learn from lessons. I mean, there's so much that's strange and and volatile uh, this time around that people are looking back to a lot of different election cycles. And George Wallace's candidacy is one of them. And for folks who don't listen to John Dickerson's Whistle Stop podcast, they absolutely have to. It's so good. He's the host of Face the Nation. He then does, <clears throat> in his spare time, I guess, he does these very well-researched, well-written, uh, like, historical narratives where he tells a story from one of the previous presidential campaigns and he did a whole show on George Wallace and said, you know, who was known for being a segregationist and he had a lot of uh, violence at his rallies and um, as Dickerson said, he didn't just use racial dog whistles, he used the the pan flutes. I mean, he was, you know, virtuoso and sort of using this kind of racial, racially coded language that um, was not, you know, obviously was not transparent, but he did it very consistently. Um, and how does that compare to what Trump does at his rallies? And one of the the pieces of the process of George Wallace's candidacy was getting on the ballot in California. And that meant getting on the ballot through a party called the American Independent Party. And it's no longer a segregationist party, but it is nonetheless the fastest growing party in California by a long shot. Because as we've talked about on the show, independent, the the label of being independent is growing. It now beats out being the you know, self-identified label of Democrat or Republican. It's the highest it's been in years. Uh, we've talked about that before. It's really increasing very dramatically in California. And this stuff is public, all the, you know, people's party registration. And there's all kinds of celebrities who are otherwise known as being Democrats who are identified. My as, girl, Emma Stone, is I, one of them. I know, right? I mean, Demi Moore. I mean, people who are not, um, you know, not uh segregationists, I would imagine, or want to be segregationists or want to be associated with a former segregationist party. Um, So the folks at Smith-Johnson Research, a Republican firm, and they're listeners of the show, and Ben Tolchin, who is the Sanders pollster, who has been a guest on the show, they did a poll for the LA Times. And they showed, and they talked to people who were members of this party. And they didn't have any idea that they were members of this party. And when heard about the party platform, they're like, oh, actually, no, uh, we are independents. We are not members of this party. So about three-fourths said they d- identify themselves as having no affiliation, not as having having any specific affiliation at all. And when read, uh, party platforms really prefer you know, something else that either undecided another party or an independent just being, you know, independent of party affiliation, not AIP. So it's fascinating that folks are basically being tricked into being registered as part of this party. I think New York State has something similar where they have the New York has like the five big parties, Republican, Democrat, working families, conservative, and then I think independents you know, ending in a D-E-N-C-E party, you know, which is, that is different than being an independent uh, and being independent of any party. You are with a party that is called the Independence Party. Um, So yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, Emma Stone, if you're listening, God, I hope you are. (laughs) 
Uh, you can always re-register. Don't be a segregationist. Yes, exactly. So anyway, I just thought that was really, really super fascinating. Cool study by Tolchin and uh, uh, Smith-Johnson. So in pop culture news, Kristen, what <laughs> what is out there? There is polling on everything. There is polling out. on everything. Um, so we'll start off with polling on uh, last week's very sad news, the passing of Prince. Um, immediately some folks sort of jumped out there to figure out what are people's favorite Prince songs. Uh, Margie, this was a BuzzFeed quiz, right? Asking people what their favorite yes. song was of Prince. Well, it turns out like every new television station in the country had an online poll. What's your favorite Prince song? <laughs> and I'm sure all of them scientifically sample. And I decided, <laughs> no, I trust BuzzFeed. No, I need BuzzFeeds. <laughs> and, um, but you know what, basically, and maybe this is just hurting, but they all came to the same conclusion. And the best song is purple rain. Um, I wanted to go back though, to see if there was a polling on, uh, you know, back when, uh, Al Gore was a mere Senator and his wife at the time, Tipper Gore was inspired by Prince's songs, which are sort of known for their, I guess, lusty lyrics and said, you know, we should have labels on records. And so this was a big culture war phenomenon at the time. And I thought, well, maybe there was polling on this. And I did find something that cited polling that said there was 75% of Americans favored a labeling system, but that it didn't say what the poll was or anything about the outlet. It was something called Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Plunges Into Music. That was, that was the citation I have for you, which is wow. pretty horrible. I know, but that was that was how desperate I was to find out. What did the polls say at the time about record labeling? You know, the, the, the record labeling really could have saved me from some massive embarrassment in 1996. Uh, so that was the time that Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album came out. Yes. And I was in middle school. I was like, oh, my God, I love Alanis Morissette. And I got a CD player and I got that CD and I got Mariah Carey's Daydream for Christmas. And I was so excited. And I threw Jagged Little Pill on in the middle of my house and started playing it. And... um she uses some salty language on that record that my parents were not expecting. And so, uh, yeah, wound up like we, you know, marched back to Target or Walmart or wherever it was and had to return that CD. And so I never owned Jagged Little Pill because um, of that Christmas Day surprise of an F-bomb going through <laughs> the Solstice household. And like in context, it's, it's a bad F-bomb too. Like it's not even like a... Anyhow, no, that's um, no, that's good. I um, Kristen could have really benefited from these labels and spared me the embarrassment of that whole saga. Oh, <laughs> uh, that that's um, no, that's really nice that you had such parental supervision. <laughs> None of them. That was not that was. I should just say that was not my experience. <laughs> I think it wouldn't have been noticed if I had just like taken the CD player into my room and listened to music like a normal kid. But right. no, I was so excited. I had to play it right in the middle of the house and right now i'm old enough to remember when everybody went from tapes to cds and the first cd that i bought was i should, i think was simon and garfunkel's greatest hits paving the way <laughs> to the america ad uh many years later anyway so um but there's some been some other music news and in fact there's polling on other music news what else have you found or what else were you going back in the way back machine 
music uh, So went into the Wayback Machine a little bit. Um, and this actually came from some of the, uh, the research that was done for Bloomberg Politics with Ann Selzer. Um, this was uh, asking about Hu- Mike Huckabee versus Beyonce. So the, the uh, thing that shook the world on Saturday night was the release of Beyonce's Lemonade visual album, which is awesome. I've watched it twice now in full. It's so good. Um, and I actually am not, was not originally a member of the Beehive, you know, the group of people that are Beyonce obsessives. And I now am. I have been converted. Um, so I wanted to see, is there any good polling data about Beyonce? And if the first thing that comes up is this Mike Huckabee versus Beyonce thing. The question is, in his recently published book, Mike Huckabee criticized the singer Beyonce, calling her mental poison. Do you think Huckabee is mostly right about Beyonce, or did he go too far? This was a poll from February 2015, and 81% of likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa said, no, Mike Huckabee went too far. We do not think Beyonce is mental poison. Um, But for Republicans, the plurality, or 40%, say yes, I think Mike Huckabee is right. Um, 38% said they thought he went too far and 22% said they weren't sure. So file that as yet another reason why I'm like, what is happening with my party right now? Yeah. <laughs> Although I think- this was a year ago, maybe this was the canary in the coal mine. I shouldn't have looked at results like this and been like, oh yeah, Donald Trump is totally going to be our nominee because more think that Beyonce is mental poison than not. Yeah. I mean, and then didn't Huckabee use an Adele song for like a final... Hail Mary video right before the caucus too, without oh, yeah. permission. I mean, for somebody, I mean, that seems like a little bit of a 180, right? I mean, it's like, well, maybe I do like pop divas, you know, <laughs> sorry, I take it back. <laughs> Please vote for me. Um, but I think part of Huckabee's objection was also about Beyonce's kind of sexy lyrics. So this does link back to the Prince debate as well about, you know, but you will lose. I think the moral of the story is if you take on a pop icon, you will, as and you're a politician, you will likely lose. Culture trumps politics. Yes. No pun intended. Yes. So the top lines this week, anyone want to challenge a majority of the electorate and see how it turns out in the polls? Deal us in. <laughs> Meanwhile, it looks like capitalism and Wall Street may be sleepy issues this election cycle on both sides of the aisle. Uh, independent, I don't think that word means what you think it means, at least in California. Check the fine print. Um, Purple Rain is the Purple One's top song, poll show, and whether Prince or Beyonce, um, polls will lose if they battle pop icons. And speaking of Purple... Thanks for three great years at Purple Strategies. I'm going to have new info very, very soon. And thanks so much for the cozy sound booth at Cold Harbor Films. Pollsters is going to have a new home very soon. And I promise that we will announce it uh, to you guys. If not next week, then the following week. I'm going to have to get used to our new intro. I was so awkward this week when you said <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait, where's the rest uh, of it? Wait, <laughs> this wait, week, Margie, I'm... What, did, did the sound cut out? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm right. just a pollster. This week, I'm just a pollster with blank, with details TBD. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson or at The Pollsters. We're at thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. Also, check us out on Facebook where throughout the week, we will post links to the stories that that we think we might want to chat about in the upcoming show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, whether that's iTunes, Stitchers, Stitcher, or more. And if you haven't written a review, we'd love to hear from you. Great. Thanks, everybody.